And now I would like to introduce our main speaker for the evening, Karen G. from Los Angeles, West Los Angeles. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's truly through the grace of God and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've been sober since May 30th, 1982. And that does not make me a miracle. It makes Alcoholics Anonymous a miracle. If you're new here tonight, I want to welcome you to AA. And I always call it God's Magnificent AA, the program that saved my life and it's going to save yours, too, if you want to take a few quick actions. And I suggest strongly that you get a sponsor, that you get that book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you get busy. Everybody else is doing around here. And you stay sober as I've stayed sober for 25 years. And people like me cannot stay sober, I can guarantee you. My home group is the Pacific Group in West L.A., a group I'm very, very proud to be a member of, just as I'm sure you're proud to be a member of yours. And I guess if you're not proud, you ought to get a job and you might change your mind. I certainly have a job in mind, and I'm proud to have that job. I want to thank Terry for inviting me to come down tonight. This is an honor and a privilege. It's one that I do not take lightly, I'll guarantee you. You guys, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I really do. And I think that it shows I make an awful lot of mistakes and an awful lot of things wrong. But I'll tell you one thing, that I love you. Make no mistake about that. You know, I've been talking to an awful lot of things before I ever wrote my big mouth. And one thing is talk to my sponsor. And, and Clancy sends you his love and best wishes tonight. And Dave in this room is wondering why I have a man for a sponsor and why I have Clancy for a sponsor. It's really quite simple. I did not get sober in California. I got sober in a place called Lincoln, Nebraska. was not doing well in Alcoholics Anonymous, Nebraska. I went through 19 sponsors at a rapid clip. And I'm certainly not proud as I stand here tonight. And thank God for the old timers in the because somebody loved me enough to get my current sponsor. And I can tell you that my life has been nothing but totally completely around as a result of that. And I actually adore the ground that man walks and I talked to him this morning. He said, almost every single day of my life. And he said, where are you going tonight? And I said, that new me down in San Diego. And he said, well, get up there and share your experience, your strength, and your hope. And tell those people what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Ignore the old timers. They got it. They don't need your inspiration, my dear. And, and talk directly <laughs> to those new people of the life and blood of AA. And, and I believe as I stand here and I welcome you and I hope that you stay in. Then I think I did without a doubt the most important thing I can ever do, and that's to say, God, please let me say what you want me to say to these people. God is very much a part of my life now, you guys. It not used to be that with me, I can guarantee you. I come from an alcoholic hell. I cannot even describe it so bad. You know, my life is real good today, and sometimes I forget how bad it was. And I can tell you the day I got sober, I weighed 95 pounds. I was a color of squash. had an alcoholic hepatitis. I had a liver cirrhosis. I had ruptured esophageal varices. And if you don't know what that stuff is, you don't want it, because you die from that kind of stuff. And I was standing on Skid Row in Lincoln, Nebraska, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And if you guys haven't drank Mad Dog, I need to tell you it's not one of your finer wines, I can assure you. I'll guarantee you one thing, that crap has never seen a grape, make no mistake about that. And I, uh, I literally could not believe what's going on in my life. I'd lost my children. I'd lost my husband twice. Although we care about that, I want you to know. I'd lost my car. I'd lost my house. I destroyed every relationship I'd ever have with anybody. And I was clearly dying from alcoholism. And then I lost the one thing that brought me my knees and disease. I lost my nursing license. And you guys, I love my profession. Absolutely devastated me, but not stopped me from drinking. And there's a reason for that. And it was read here tonight that I have an obsession that somehow, someday, I'll under control and enjoy my drinking. The persistent illusion is astonishing. Just what our book talks about, being a pursuit in the gates of insanity and death. And I'll guarantee you one thing. I was in the gates of experience. I got sober almost into my coffin. And I am so grateful. I'll collect as I stand here tonight. I cannot begin to tell you. And you're going to soon see why and stuff. But, you know, like I said earlier, my sobriety date is May 30th, 1982. It was not always my sobriety date. I got my current sponsor. I had to change that date. And there's a reason for that. All these people had to go smoke dope when I got sober. And if you're smoking marijuana in this room, you're not sober now, collect 
comments I would tell you right this minute. I don't want to argue about the afterwards. Ask any old-timers if you don't believe me. If I could change my date, then by God, so do you. But uh, I, uh, I got my current sponsor. I tried to explain to him that well, I'm from Nebraska. You can have two sobriety. So I'm from alcohol and monthly drugs. He rather quickly pointed out to me that I was in Southern California. We have one date here to get my date changed. And I was just smart aleck when I got my current sponsor. And I said, where does the book mention pot? He said, the book does mention pot. And I said, Clancy, I have read that book. So I talk about marijuana in that book. And he said, if I find there were pot in that book, will you change it so I never argue with me again? And I knew I was making a bad deal, you guys, but I did anyway. And I'll be damned if he didn't flip open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. On the first page of Bill Wilson's story, it says, died by musket or by pot. I said, that is not what that means. He said, quite frankly, my dear, I don't care what it means. You said the book didn't mention pot. It does mention pot. Change your sobriety date. And my life has flourished, I've got to tell you guys. But I'm delighted to be here tonight, and I wish you much luck with your brand new meeting. It looks like it's going to be very, very successful and stuff. And I'm also delighted you don't have a glass for me. You can see your speaker. I had this terrible experience on the East Coast. It was after giving a talk, and my talk, my skirt fell off in front of 3,000 people. And they had this glass for me. You could actually see the speaker, and that makes me nervous anyway. And I had this black suit on with this wraparound skirt, and, and the button came, and I thought, my God, my skirt's going to fall on the floor. And it was too late. It was on the floor. But you guys, you know what? That's like Thomas is taught me to wear underwear and thank God I had some <laughs> it's a it's a it's also taught me to take action I just picked up that skirt and kept right on talking what else are you going to do <laughs> you guys this has been without a doubt without a doubt the best two and a half years of my sobriety and I want to share that with you tonight. If you could ask me a year ago, New Year's Eve, are your men's made not like Samus? I would say, yes, that's been the absolute truth to me. I'm $86,000 out of debt here. I don't know nobody, nothing, no verbal men's, no financial men's. I'm home free here. Just have a sponsor, have a God in my life, go to meetings, work with others. There are 3,000 things we do to stay sober. Looks like I'm going to be okay and stuff. And our book says that more will be revealed, folks. And I flew to Kansas City, Missouri, to a year ago on New Year's Eve to give an AA talk. And this big dinner dance banquet, so they invited me to come. So air traffic control had to tell us the Kansas City or Kansas City, Missouri and so we were circling the city and I looked out the airplane window and I spied the Hyatt Meese Hotel I thought oh my god there's the Hyatt I just what I'd done about 35 years ago you know I read my inventory to my sponsor I'd not mentioned this for whatever reason I'd done so much of this sort of thing it was no big deal I guess but I didn't really remember when I did the inventory now i got to tell my sponsor I called him and he said well get over and make a ministry you probably place a bad name but 35 years ago on Easter morning I found myself in the Hyatt Meese Hotel glass elevator in Kansas City, Missouri stark naked now in the first floor of the hotel, and here was this family sending their Easter clothes. I'll never forget the look on these people's faces as long as I live. And I thought, well, if I have time, I'll get that done. I'd not have time to get that done. That committee kept me really, really busy and stuff. It's going to be there for 24 hours. So I went back to Los Angeles on New Year's Day to come back to L.A., and, and my flight was canceled. I thought, Greg, i got five hours to kill, take a shot of the height and try to find somebody to talk to, although I definitely find anybody on New Year's Day to talk to. And boy, was I wrong about that, let me tell you. I sent up the manager of the Heart Museum Hotel, and I told him what I'd done, and he laughed. He said, Karen Scott, I have to tell you a funny story. He said, 35 years ago, my dad was manager of the high at that time, and we were over here having Easter brunch. He said, I was only seven years old. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And, and, uh, he said, you have to take the glass elevator upstairs to the brunch area, and the door opened up, and a naked woman got off. And he said, I've never seen a naked woman before. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I had to be your first one, but take her and get her. And he said, and guess what? Mom and dad are here this week. And I thought, oh, wonderful. Yeah. He said... 
yeah, they're celebrating their, their 65th grand anniversary. I put them in the honeymoon suite. Let's have them come down and meet you. And I thought, let's not, you know. But I didn't say that. We just go along with it is what we do. And I said, whatever you want to do will be fine with me. And he, so mom and dad came down and thought, my God, they're probably 150 years old. on walkers by have a heart attack when they find out who I am. And boy, was I wrong about that. I saw the loveliest people I've ever met before in my life. And they laughed. They said, Karen, we talked about you for years in the bars and hired me. And I thought, yeah, I bet you did too. And I said, I'm so sorry I embarrassed you and your family here all those years ago. What can I do to make that right? And they said, just don't ever do it again. <laughs> I said, you know what? I can't think of any more disgusting than a six-year-old woman getting out of a glass elevator stark naked. That much for taking that path anytime soon. So as I stand here tonight, my men's remain out like Thomas, but it ain't midnight yet, folks. You never know what's going to happen out here. And a year ago in May, I was over in Lawson, Nevada. I spoke at the Tri-State Roundup. You guys haven't experienced that conference. My God, it's a fabulous event. They get about six, 7,000 people to sing. And we were hanging around the casino on Thursday night, waiting for me to start. And I hit a $10,000 slot is what happened. And I was to experience every promise in the biblical about like Psalmist in about five seconds flat. I was to know a new freedom, a new happiness, and fear financially and security left me temporarily. If you're new here, not that has not how you get the promises not like Psalmist, but I swear to God, I got them on. It was really a great thing. Don Lawson owns that hotel, that Riverside Hotel, so he came down to tell me hi. Actually, they want their money back is what they want. He said, can we extend your stay? And I said, no, check, please. I'm taking it back to L.A. And he said, what are you doing here this weekend? I said, well, actually, I'm speaking at the convention. He said, oh, can I come hear you talk? I'd love to hear the A speakers talk. And I thought, whatever you want to do, it's your hotel. I guess you can do what you want to. And my guy was in line the very next night. And they never give up, folks. And he said to me, are you sure we can't extend your stay? And I said, I'm positive. So I'm happy to report here tonight. I brought that 10 grand back to Los Angeles. I paid my car off with it. And I am truly debt-free in Alcox Thomas. And it was a great position to be in, let me tell you guys. No, listen, I'm not a martyr up here. I don't want to pay any of it back to be on the truth. But, you know, it took me 18 years to do that. It's like paying for dead horses everywhere. But let me tell you something, folks. I am so glad I paid that money back. Everything I've learned in Alcox Thomas, I learned in retrospect. While I'm doing it, I don't see the value. It's afterwards I see the value. So, anyway, I'm glad it's over for me and stuff. But I don't wish to get in credit card debt again, I can tell you right this minute. But So it's been a great couple, two and a half, three years of my sobriety. And, you know, I come from a wonderful home there in Nebraska. And I want you to know that. And my mother wants you to know it, too. I'll guarantee you that. You know, my mom died 13 years ago. And, God, I miss her so much, I can't begin to tell you guys. And Well, you only get one, folks. And when they're gone, they're gone. And I made amends to her many, many years ago. We had a wonderful relationship last year's of her life and stuff. But I just miss her terribly. And I can tell you guys a funny story. That's when my mom died, of course. Uh, I, was, I was back in Nebraska in August. Last August, we was at my kids and my grandkids and stuff. And I told my eldest son, I'm going to go out to Grandma's grave and put some flowers down. I said, where is your other grandmother buried? I was not there for my ex-mother-in-law's funeral. And he said, well, Mom, just mark off 15 rows from Grandma's grave. There's Grandma's Lynn's grave. And it's a little bit tiny graveyard. It was overcast in Nebraska. It had been raining all day. And I told my speaker, their lawn club at 5.30. It was already 10 after 5. I really need to move right along here. So I put the flowers on my mom's grave and marked off 15 rows. There was my ex-mother-in-law grave. I put the flowers down, and I backed up, and I found myself in an eight-foot grave, you guys, and I could not get out of that damn thing. <laughs> I thought, how in the hell did this happen to me? Well, apparently the grave diggers in Nebraska opened the grave the day before, and they put a tarp up and a caution sign thing to hold the casket. It's basically impossible to fall in the grave. And they thought, well, it's been raining all day. Nobody's even out here. Let's go to dinner, and we'll come back and do it later. And I come sauntering over. And I thought, how am I going to get out of this thing? I was more worried about that meeting. And also, there was nobody out there but me, you guys. So, what do you do? You start screaming, help is what you're doing. About ten minutes later, this old lady walked over the grave. She's old, but I'm not, right? And she says to me, I don't think you're supposed to be in there. And I thought, <laughs> stupid woman. 
I didn't say that, however. I needed that one in my pocket that particular time. And I said, have you got a cell phone you by any chance? She says, you know, I don't. And I said, can you go up the office and see if anybody's still there? You know, get a ladder, call the fire department. What they got to do to get me out of here? They tell them not to run the sirens. It's not an emergency or anything. And here they come, you guys, six Lincoln, Nebraska fire trucks. There's sirens going. Lincoln, Nebraska police cars with their sirens going. And reporters of all damn things. And I said, don't you dare put my name in the paper. And they said, we have to report the fire call. We don't put your name in the paper. And I said, you better see that you don't. There it was Monday morning, Lincoln Journal and Star, California woman falls an eight-foot grade. Karen, I can't believe they did that, but you never know what's going to happen now, I promise. But I'll have you, all you old-timers know that I made it to my mean at 5.29 p.m. I was there. And the people said to me, Karen, why do you have mud all over your dress? I said, you don't even want to know, trust me. But... <laughs> I come from an alcoholic home, and I don't think that's either here nor there. I don't do well with people stand A podiums and blame anybody for anything. And my father died from this disease on the streets of Chicago in 1979. And you tell me how major in the Air Force guys on Skid Row. I don't know how that happened other than the fact that he was an alcoholic. And whether he found A or not, I do not know. I just know that he certainly did not say so as a result of it. So one more time tonight, this is a cunning, baffling, powerful disease that kills people. This is not a game I'm playing up, but this is serious business. And I would give any the world if my father were alive tonight because we would have a lot to talk about, I can tell you. I have a sister who was Miss Rara in high school and homecoming queen, surely all that kind of stuff, and made straight A's, never cracked a book, and I made straight F's, never cracked a book, and that was the difference. My sister was a beautiful little girl. She's a gorgeous woman today. She looks nothing like I do, i got to tell you. And she was a model for many years from Neiman Marcus in Dallas, and now she's retired and teaches school in the West Indies. And i got to tell you guys, as a direct result of this program, I love my sister very much tonight. And I found out something about her. She's also very beautiful on the inside, too, and I used to know that. I have a brother who was a fighter pilot in the Navy for many, many years. My brother retired six years ago in August and did 9-11 Iraq and so forth. He's been called back in the service. And, you know, my brother is really old to be a fighter pilot, you guys. He's 54 years old. And we were growing up. I thought he was such a dork, I can't begin to tell you. Straight as an arrow, Mike. Doesn't drink. Doesn't use drugs. Doesn't screw around. He was an embarrassment to me, if you want to know the truth. And, and, uh, and tonight, I'm so proud of that man, I cannot begin to tell you. You wouldn't catch me over Iraq in any fighter plane. And I have another sister who's married the public defender in Lincoln, Nebraska, who got me out of a whole bunch of trouble when I got sober, and I'm welcome in their homes than I never used to be. I come from basically a very boring family, if you know the truth. They're high-successful people, and they bore me to tears. I love them, but they bore me to tears. And I have a couple kids that are 44 and 45 years old, and now I, I know I certainly don't old enough to have kids that age, but by God, I sure do. And, and this is where it really starts getting interesting for me. These kids are anything but boring, i got to tell you guys. As a matter of fact, they're a couple of jerks, you know the truth, but those couple of jerks give me five of the most gorgeous just grandbabies you've ever seen before in your life and those grandbabies have never seen their grandmother drink and I hope to God they never do so things in my family are very very good tonight it's only a direct result of alcoholic psalmist I can assure you and it took a long time for it to happen and in my case that's a good thing but you know I grew up in Nebraska I was a disruptive jerk when I was growing up always in trouble getting kicked out of classrooms I hated discipline I was very very rebellious I really hated people telling me what to do and I like it even less today if you know the truth and you know I never felt like I belonged anywhere and I hear that a lot from me podiums, and I'm right on with that 125%, I've got to tell you. You know, I really don't remember my first drink, you guys, but I can tell you that I hope to God I never forget my last one, and I hope it was my last one. And what alcohol did me from the very beginning? It made me feel like I belonged. I could do anything I wanted to be. I could do anything I wanted to do. I drank any given opportunity after that, and I was probably about 13 years old. You know, I realize that I'm in need of alcoholics Thomas tonight, and I honor this podium by talking about alcoholism. I used a lot of drugs, too. Make that a small part of my story. My sponsor encourages 
encourages me to do that. You know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in Bill Wilson's story, he talks about and the powerful influence of alcohol and sedation. He went up on the rocks. That's precisely what happened to me, folks. But, you know, I'm one of these alcoholic females, and I hate to say that from, this from an AA podium, but it's precisely the way that it was for me, and we're supposed to tell the truth up here, that if you pat me on the head, my pants fall as what happens to me, and I got myself into a lot of trouble when I was growing up. I absolutely love men. I love everything about them. You name about and I love them. They've been the downfall of my entire existence, and they remain the same today, I'm sorry to say. And I, I, uh, I particularly like sick men, and there's a room full of here tonight. I can just feel it, you know. That's a... That's one thing, girls, I love about Southern California. It's got so many sick men, and I'm just entertained around the clock 24 hours a day. And, you know, you guys, I want to be 63 years old next week, and I have a boyfriend. You don't believe I have a boyfriend. He lives in New York. I live in L.A., so we get along so well and stuff. So things haven't changed a whole lot for me in that arena, I'll tell you. But I have to tell you guys a funny story. I was in Nashville, Tennessee about 15 years ago giving a talk, and one of the fine ladies of Nashville, Tennessee, walked up to me afterwards, I want you to know, and this woman said to me, she said, you're disgusting. And she was kidding you guys she meant every word of it and I said lady from where I come from being disgusting to step up I can assure you and furthermore if I want you to sponsor me I'd flown to Nashville and asked you you know I hear some women get this podium and I wonder if they ever drink you guys I really do you all they're drinking room to shoot into the keyhole of an eyedropper I was out there big time I got myself into a lot of trouble I've been taught to share it three and a half like synonymous and if I asked anybody in this room tonight I would never offend anybody in the program that saved my life and besides that my book tells me and this is my favorite part of our book. It says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, your dark past will be the greatest possession that you have. And it goes on to say, because you literally avert death and misery for others. And I have to be very, very true in my sobriety. So if I ask anybody here, I don't want to hear about it afterwards. But anyway, <coughs> excuse me. I got pregnant when I was 16 years old and had to get married. And my dear girls, you had to get married. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. It's just what we did and stuff. And as it must be, I'm married an alcoholic. He was 17. I was 16. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't take care of a baby. Nor did I want to take care of a baby. And before we knew, we had two babies to take care of. And I could found out what caused all that, and I put a halt to it, I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> and that caused me a lot of trouble throughout the years. And as it, as it must be, I married an individual that refused to work, that drank on a daily basis. He's going to beat me up on a daily basis. And I had never seen a man hit a woman before in my life, you guys. I'll guarantee you one thing. If my dad would lay one hand on my mom, she'd have knocked him from here to the moon, i got to tell you. And I grew to hate this guy very, very much. And I'm not blaming him for my disease, so please don't get me wrong. It's just part of my story and I need to share it. And, and some of that family had to get a job. And I didn't finish junior high yet, for God's sakes. And I found a job as a nurse at the hospital there in Lincoln. And the magic was put in my life. I literally fell in love with nursing. And I made a plan to myself. I would love to go to school, and I'd love to become a registered nurse. That's what I'd love to do. You know, they say that alcoholics don't have willpower. And I'm here to tell you now from this podium that that is a bunch of crap. I have more willpower than 20 elephants. When I want to do well, I'm going to do well. I don't have one ounce of willpower when it comes to my disease. But when I want to do something, I'm going to do it. And I went back. I finished junior high. I went to high school. I went to college full-time for three years. And I worked full-time for three years. And I'm talking about 18, 20 hours a day. You guys know this hard stuff to do. I did not drink. I used any drugs in this period of time. At the age of 27 years old, I became a registered nurse. And if you think I'm proud to stand here tonight and tell you that I got jerked in front of the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska, and they told me, you are a disgrace to your profession, you're a disgrace to nursing, you're a disgrace to medicine, you are no longer working because we just jerked your nursing license. If you think I'm proud of that, you are sadly wrong. You guys, I love my profession, and I really, really mean that. And I would never do anything.
anything to jeopardize the people I take care of or the people I work with in ordinary circumstances. And what I have to tell you now is a story about how I threw it right down the toilet so I could drink. And that is total insanity. It's also called alcoholism. At the age of 27 years old, I divorced this man. And girls, i got to tell you that a whole new world opened up to me. And it's called men and alcohol. And I went absolutely hog wild is what I did. I was engaged eight times during that divorce. I never did marry these people. Two of them died from alcoholism. I know nothing about social drinking. I drank. And with alcoholics, and me do indeed die from this. And at the age of 27 years old, I went to work in surgery at a hospital there in Nebraska. And I had that job for 19 years. I love working in the operating room. I love taking care of those patients. It's a colorful, exciting nursing position. I drank. And with medical people mostly. They were colorful, intense people. They worked hard and they played hard. And I need to tell you guys that the instance of alcoholism amongst my profession is tremendously high. And that would be a lot for you. Security level is going to have surgery next week. That has to be very, very true. And, and those people are so grateful that I'm sober that they can't see straight. And I'm talking about alcoholics is what I'm talking about. You know, in our book, Alcoholics Thomas, it says clearly that we're telling the general way what our drinking was like. And you're going to get the general idea real quick what my drinking was like. I can tell you guys about my drinking about five seconds faster than the truth. Many, many years ago, I was at a concert in upstate New York called Woodstock. And I'm not talking about that piece of crap they had ten years ago. I'm talking about the real Woodstock. <laughs> and there will never be another one. Trust me on that. The kids in the 60s threw a party that nobody will ever match, I'm quite sure. And New York got when they had this big event. And they told these people, if you don't get medical coverage, you are not going to have this concert. Started hiring people from Nebraska. Thought to be more responsible. And we were a seedy lot, I can assure you. And I was the first drunk to sign up this deal. And five, nine girls I went to to join me. And they got 80 doctors from New York and they were Woodstock. I never seen so much alcohol in the place in my entire life. You could have easily sold a vaginal problem whatsoever. And the drugs, it was like a candy store. And on that back of that lot of Woodstock, we had a semi, and that was our hospital park out there, and I don't recall being in that semi the entire week, but I do recall it was like the Stanford Station, I thought Richie Haven sang Freedom, and Joe Cocker, and Country Joe, sang those groups that I love. I come from the roaring 60s, you guys, and I love rock and roll, let me tell you. Things have not changed in my life a little tiny bit. I loved Elvis Presley, and Janis Joplin was my lady, let me tell you. Wouldn't Janis Joplin have been a fine member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you guys? I'd have hung out with Janis, let me tell you. <laughs> I'd have traded jams for Clancy any day with you on the truth. That's not true. That's a big fat lie. Do not tell him I said that, please. I was just kidding. I wouldn't trade my sponsor for 20 Janice Joplin's, but drinking for me at one time was a fun thing, you guys. If you'd like me to stand up and say anything but that, but I can't remember the fun of the pain that it caused me. And one more time, I am so grateful. I'll collect some as I can. I'll begin to tell you. And, you know, the drunk driving charges, the bad checks, all the stuff that we eventually do. My kids were in trouble. I never could marry these guys. I was engaged. They kept dying from alcoholism. And I thought, you know, I need to get married to my ex-husband again. That's what I need to do. The kids need their father. Besides, I need to get even with him for all the things he's done to me. And those are not very good reasons to get married again, i got to tell you, and I'm certainly not proud of this as I stand here tonight. You know, if anybody in this room is thinking about getting married to the same person twice, don't do it. You're going to be sorry. <laughs> the only way I can describe this is like taking a bite out of the same turd twice. If you, I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel. And uh, He feels the same way I do, too, as a matter of fact, but I am. Uh, I danced that man through three of the most miserable years of his life on the face of this earth. And, and I love to tell you guys this story, I tell you. And my sponsor always tells me that is not funny, and you should not be telling that from eight podiums. I said, okay, fine, and I won't tell anymore. He said, no, go ahead and tell those people see how sick you really were, and apparently how sick you really still are. And I'm still sick, and I still think it's funny, and I'm telling the story. <laughs> when I married him again, I told him, I said, if you ever hit me again, buddy, I will kill you next time you hit me. And he said, I will never hit you again, ever. And I 
said, you better see that you don't. And he lied as we did. Came home drunk one night. And, and I happened to be sober this night for some reason. And I'll never know why because I usually wasn't. And, and girls, you know what guys do when they come home. They want to take you to bed. And, and one thing I can't stand is some drunk man mauling me when I'm sober. And I said, <laughs> and the shoes under the foot, though, I don't mind at all. But I said, get your hands off me and leave me alone. Don't you lay one more hand on me. And he broke my arm is what he did. And I'm here to tell you guys that I was pissed, let me tell you. As a matter of fact, I'm still pissed about it, you know, the truth. And I told him, I said, you go to sleep on that couch and so help me, God, when you wake up, you're going to wish you'd never been born. And he said for hours, you guys, the eyes pried open. And as it must be, he finally passed out. And I started drinking martinis. And this is a classic example of what alcohol did for me. Alcohol told me what to do. I didn't tell it what to do. And I had about eight, ten martinis, and I was feeling no pain, I can assure you. And I was sitting there watching this guy. And I hate to tell you what this man was doing. But I can't, can't tell you, Stone is going to tell you what he was doing. He was laying on the couch playing with himself. I thought, you disgusting man, you make me sick to my stomach. And the more I drank, the madder I got. And you guys, you know, I'm a nurse and I'm very familiar with male anatomy. And I'd be very familiar with male anatomy if I wasn't a nurse. But you know, I thought to myself, what can I do to get even this guy for all the things he's done to me? And I came up with this brilliant idea in my drunken stupor. That's one thing we should never do, folks, is drink and think at the same time. And, this is many, many years ago, you guys, when super glue first came out. And super glue was powerful stuff. You know, in our country in the last year or so, there's been two or three instances of super glue stuff. I'm the original super glue person. <laughs> Mrs. Bobbitt has nothing on me, I can assure you. But anyway, I got that super glue out and I read the directions on that super glue. And like I said, I was drunk and I wasn't seeing very clearly. And what I thought those directions said were if this is human skin, you'd be locked in 15 hours. Now, why would it say something stupid like that? What it said was, in fact, if this is human skin, you better get locked in five minutes, is what it said. And I want this guy, I get so excited when I tell this story, I could just do it all over again. And I poured super glue all all of this guy's growing, and I mean everywhere. There was not one place I didn't have super glue, and I laughed about it, and I went to bed. And I woke up in the morning just screams of horror like you cannot even believe. And, you know, I did not mean to hurt this guy as bad as I did, and I swear to God that's true. But I'll tell you what happened my ex-husband. This guy never had the advantage of being circumcised when he was born, and now he clearly was, I can assure you. And we had a telephone by our bed there in our bedroom there in Lincoln. He called the police and the cops right in front of our home with their sirens going. There was an ambulance out there. The neighbors were gawking out of their windows. And, you know, one thing you guys got to keep in mind here, they did not see things like this happen in Lincoln, Nebraska. In California, it would not surprise me one bit, but certainly not there. And the cops were laughing, which meant the whole thing was funny. And they said, lady, are you crazy or what? Why would you do something like this? And I stood there and I said, what makes you think that I did it anyway? I was only standing there with glue on my hands, for God's sake. And they said, you're under arrest for assault and battery. And I said, you cannot arrest wives in Nebraska for assault and battery against their husbands. I know better than that. And two days later when I got out of jail, I guess I didn't know better than that. And they took that man to the very hospital I worked at in surgery, and he had to have surgery. One more time, the host staff saw what Karen did, and they took me to jail, I might add, and it turned out to be a terrible, terrible thing. Those doctors there in Lincoln couldn't get that glue off, and they'd get you surgeons down from Creighton University Medical School in Omaha, Nebraska, to get that glue off. And you know, there's a paper in about that at Creighton, and even if she was going to go to medical school, you can go read about it if you want to, but anyway, and I was sitting in that jail thinking to myself, I am getting out of this marriage, when this guy comes home from the hospital, he's going to glue something to mine shut, he would have too, I gotta tell you. I'm sorry, but he would have, for those of you who don't know this, that happened to a lady in Kentucky about four years ago, it was on the national news, and I was on the tin fruit, I had a rip on her, I thought, my God, better her than me, I gotta tell you, but, you know, 
we have an amend step in this program, and my sponsor can get an airplane and fly to Sacramento, California, and they convince my ex-husband where he currently lives. And I tried to tell my sponsor, I'm not sorry that I did that. That's why I have to make the amends. He said, I don't care whether you're sorry or not. Get in the airplane, get there, and do what I'm asking you to do, and then one of these days you will be sorry. And I'll tell you, but in this room tonight, and that guy sees me, he kind of backs up, let me tell you. But we're able, to, we're able to sit down and talk and stuff, and I made my amends to him. And I will tell you guys, I walked away from that man. I was free what I had done to him. I was free of being married to him twice. And I will tell you, for the first time in my sobriety, the promise of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous came true in my life. And you also found about that? Motives mean nothing here, folks. My motives suck big time on that one. I still got the promise. So go figure. It's action A that counts right here, not motives and stuff. But anyway, I divorced this guy one more time. And I got involved with the most bizarre man I've ever met before in my life. This guy told me he was in the mafia. Now, I don't think anybody in Nebraska is in the mafia, for God's sake. And I was lying to him, and he was lying to me. It was your typical alcoholic nightmare is what it was. I was drinking on a daily basis. I was taking Valium for severe tremors I was starting to have. It was beginning to be no more fun, i got to tell you guys. You know, I'm a nurse, and I've studied alcoholism. I knew all about before I became one. It shows me one more time tonight what our book says is so true. Self-knowledge avails us nothing with this disease. It's action that counts. Nowhere in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous do we have a chapter called End of Thinking. We have it's called End to action. And that's the only reason I'm standing here 25 years sober. And the day came to the hospital told me, Karen, we have had all the crap we're going to take off of you. You are absolutely pathetic. You're the finest nurse on this staff, and you know that you are. You have won awards for your nursing ability. What is the matter with you? You have a drinking problem. We're tired of reading about you in the paper. Drunk driving charges, bad checks, glue and husbands, all the crap that you're doing. Everything you do in Nebraska is in the paper, I'm sorry to say, and they knew my game. They said, you're going to a treatment center. You are out of here. We are not protecting you anymore. And I said, you and what army's going to make me go to a treatment center? And I walked out of the job that I love more than even the whole world, and I cannot say it enough tonight. And I drank and I drank and I died and I died a thousand times over. I went to work in a nursing home there in Lincoln. What I'm going to share with you guys is something I'm not proud to discuss from any AA podium. It took me years into my sobriety before I would ever mention this. I found myself still in drugs in that nursing home. It's not because I like drugs. It has nothing to do with anything. I was physically addicted to alcohol by now. I had to have this stuff. I couldn't go more than three hours without drinking. I having trouble withdrawal symptoms. I couldn't drink it worse, so I started stealing narcotics. It's just that damn simple. And I hated myself so bad, I can't begin to tell you guys. And, and the day came and the people that ran that place came up to me. And they said, Karen, what is wrong with you? You are just weird is what you are. They take good care of the patients. You're a great nurse, but you're just strange. And I remember thinking to myself, you'd be strange, too, if you had 200 milligrams of Demerol on board. You'd be strange, too. And I threw my keys at them, and I walked out the door before they fired me. And I went to work at Brian Memorial Hospital there in Lincoln. And you guys, it's a fine, fine facility. And I was drunk on that interview the nursing position, and I'm not talking about falling down drunk. I was just maintaining so little alcohol in my bloodstream that I would not shake and have those violent tremors. That is clearly desperation drinking. Our book describes it vividly, and I was in hot water with my yin-yang, let me tell you. The very thought that I might drink again makes the hair on my neck stand straight up, and that's how I'm an acronym of alcoholics that the day came when I got caught red-handed stone from Washington Hospital, and this got to be without a doubt the most humiliating day of my entire life. When they said, you give us your narcotic keys and you get out of this hospital, don't you walk back in here again, report this to the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they should have done. My other two jobs should have done, too, as a matter of fact. And long story short here tonight, I lost my nursing license. And to make a long story short and short here tonight, I went up on the streets of Nebraska, what happened to me. And you guys, I spent two years on the streets. And I tell the Midwest I prostituted myself, and I'll guarantee you one thing, that I have seen and done things that no woman should ever see or do. And I'm still so sick in the head sometimes, I think to myself, I wouldn't mind seeing some of them again, you know. And my sponsor assures me I am still a very ill member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But I've been in nut houses, I've been in detoxes, I've been in jails, I've been in institutions. I cannot think of a thing in those streets of the practice 
became alcoholic. Things happened. I would not repeat this podium tonight, but I'm sure that you had the general idea. And two years rolled by for me, and there I was back there in Lincoln, standing on skid rows, sucking on a bottle of Mad Dog. And I certainly have better things intended for myself than to be doing that, let me tell you. I will never forget that last day of my drinking as long as I live. And I hope to God it's the last day of my drinking. I apparently was so physically sick, I just passed down the streets is what happened. I woke up in an intensive care ward, the very hospital I was born at, the very hospital I worked at for 19 years. And I will tell you guys clearly that the alcoholic health me saw the day I got sober. You know, I'm not a very big person. I only weighed 95 pounds when I got sober. And I laid in that intensive care ward. I had tubes come out of my belly. They were draining fluid off my liver. I had IVs start going. And I found myself in withdrawal that was so bad I cannot begin to tell you guys. And I laid in that intensive care ward and I shook and I shook and I died and I died for 35 days. And I'd scream at those nurses, demand they give me drugs to withdrawal. They would not give me one drug. They said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. It's not throwing any irregularities. You're not getting one drug from us, so quit asking us for them. You need to fill in those trimmers and maybe you'll never do it again. And I did not want to hear that, let me tell you. But those nurses got 10 members of Alcoholics Anonymous to come and sit with me. And those people never left me day or night for 30 solid days. And I really fell in love with these people, and I'll tell you why. There was nobody in my life that got sober. My family wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. They had all the crap they were going to take off me years before I quit drinking. And for the first time in a long time, people were talking to me again. And at 30 days of sobriety, I walked into the official treatment from that hospital. I'm a prize of a treatment center. I had no opinion on one way or the other. But apparently I went to a fine one because all they talked about was Alcoholics Anonymous. And, well, there's a lot of bad ones out there, you guys. Let me tell you. And thank God I went to go. And, you know, where I went through treatment, a lot of people got kicked out of treatment for fraternizing. I didn't. Nobody wants to fraternize an orange person, I can assure you. And they used to bring the patients of the hospital and they'd say, look at her. See what's going to happen if you keep drinking? Look at her. I thought, how dare you bring people in my room and say stuff like that? But you know what? In retrospect tonight, I'm glad they did that. I can think about that before I could pick up any drink. But I was not equipped studying the inpatient therapy program due to my very rotten behavior. I was in there for seven long months. That's a long time being inpatient therapy. But I completed all that. And I found myself very, very active in Alcoholics Anonymous in Nebraska. I wasn't doing one thing that we teach people in AA to do it. And I rapidly went through 19 sponsors in that town. You know, you can pull your crap around here just for so long. And these old timers are going to start nailing one at the other. God love them, you know, timers and Alcoholics Anonymous. They at least saved my life. And boy, they are dying off right and left, i got to tell you guys. And, and they have taught me well. And I'll be internally grateful. But so, guy with 20 years of sobriety, grandma, and Amy today, he said, come outside, I want to talk to you. You stay away from new people. How dare you tell the new people in A that they don't need the book and they don't need a sponsor? He said, you're like a typhoid Mary in A. Everybody dies around you, but you're able to stay sober somehow. And he went on to tell me, there's going to be a man from California speaking in Carney, Nebraska this weekend. His name is Clancy. He's this man speaking. And this man, he will sponsor you. He is a master of dealing with jerks like you. And I heard all that Clancy, and I want nothing to do with him, period, because I knew I was going to be in bad, bad trouble. And i got to tell you guys that my fears have been justified 8,000 times over. I told this old-timer, I said, who do you think you are that you're going to tell me to be my sponsor now, like Thomas? He said, if you don't get in that car and go this Saturday, I'm going to tell everybody in Lincoln how you stole money from an AA meeting. And I'll guarantee I was in that car going to Carnegie, Nebraska. I paid that money back, too, by the way. I did pay it back. I did. And I will tell you guys from a podium in Carnegie, Nebraska, that man literally put the magic of Alcoholics Thomas in my life. My life has never been the same since that talk. And there's a reason for that. For the first time in my sobriety, I was identifying another alcoholic. And as I understand Alcoholics Thomas, that's what this thing is all about. I know of no finer speaker in the world than my sponsor. I'm not saying that you need to believe that. It's only important that I believe that. And by the end of that talk, I wanted that man for my sponsor. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how God works in my life. He apparently does to me what I cannot do for myself. And I found myself walk across that convention floor, asked that man to be my sponsor. And he looked at me and he said, I don't sponsor crazy people like you. And that's a lie anyway. He sponsors people crazy than I ever thought of being. And I thought to myself, what did he say that to me for? He doesn't even know me. And 
I wasn't aware of the fact this old timer had called him two weeks prior to him coming to Nebraska and asked me about me if he would talk to me. He said, Of course I will. And he knew my game. Let me tell you. He said, Chairman, I have to sponsor people on long distance basis, but I'm going to do this for you. Uh, don't do it for you. You'll probably go die somewhere. He said, I'm going to tell you something, little girl, and you better listen to me real good because I'm going to say it one time and one time only. You're going to call me every day. I tell you not to call me every day. You're going to read that book. You're going to sponsor people. Become an active volume of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're not going to argue with me. Defend your actions to me. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And if you don't want to do that, then Get yourself a different sponsor. And you guys, you want to talk about we stood at the turning point. This is there in my recovery, really beginning out like psalmist. And I said two words that I almost fell over when I said them. I said, yes, sir. I don't tell people, yes, sir. Trust me, I don't. One more time, God do what I can't do for myself. Respect's got to start for me somewhere. And I was be my sponsor now, like Thomas. And I went back to Lincoln. I became very, very active in the right way. I sponsored a lot of women in that town. I'm not bragging about that. It's not that much fun to sponsor 56 crazy women in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I grew to love those women very, very much. And I'll tell you why. They literally showed me the first four years of my sobriety what to do and what not to do in this program. And every one of those women is still sober today, with the exception of one. And she died in a car accident when she was 13 years sober. But she died sober, you guys. And it wasn't because of me. They were active members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the first directions my sponsor gave me, I want you to get that nursing license back. I tried to tell this man, I cannot have the kind of humiliation. He said, Karen, are you arguing with me? And I said, no. He said, get the State Board of Nursing Nebraska and tell those people you've been sober in A for a year and a half. you got the opportunity to get your nursing license back. And you guys, I knew it wasn't going to work, but I did it anyway. And that's without a doubt the most important thing I can say in this meeting tonight. I did what my sponsor asked me to do, whether I thought it would work or not. And I asked for my license back. And they looked at me like I had just grown horns on the top of my head, I can assure you. And they said, how many links do you want to go to them? I had to do a lot, you guys. I had to take crap off people for two years that I wouldn't hire to mow my own lawn, you know, the truth. Keep my mouth shut in the process, too. And one of the happiest days of my life occurred 20 years ago, this last April, when one more time I was drinking in front of the State Board of Nursing in Nebraska, and what they told me brought me to my knees for the first time in Alcoholics Anonymous. They said, welcome home. You're fully being stated as a registered nurse. And as a gift from AA, I don't deserve by God I intended to get taken. I came out to visit a couple of times. I fell in love with Southern California AA. If you're new in this room tonight, I want you to know that you are in the mecca of Alcoholics Anonymous in the whole world. This is the best place to be and be sober. And I know that's very, very true because I get the honor of speaking to all the world. And I welcome you and I hope you stand. I took Clancy on the phone one day. I moved to L.A. Live in that crazy Venice Beach with all those crazy people. I knew I took a glove and not been wrong about that either. Gone to Pacific. I want to at UCLA in the operating room. Two, you know, two of their transplant teams, their heart liver transplant teams. I want this and I want that. And every single of those things have come through for me. And those are all gifts from AA. I deserve none. By God, I'm taking all of them. You know, people say to me all the time, why do you keep doing it, Karen? Why do you keep doing it? And I know of no greater thing to say to them. There are 12 traditions as long form. So that this to the end, that my great blessings may never spoil me, I may forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. And I'm going to say one thing more. I'm going to shut my mouth here right on time. It has been one hell of a walk from Skid Row, Nebraska, to where I stand in San Diego, California tonight. And I think that, but to the grace of God and Alcoholics Thomas, I would have missed it all. Thank you for having me and thank you for my life.